This is everything you want to know about non-clinical careers for physicians. For Third Evolution, I'm your host, Robert Pretty. So what is your number one objective necessary for you to be successful in your non-clinical career transition? That's what we're going to talk about today. And I know, I know you're saying, my number one objective is, is to get a job. Some of you are probably screaming this into your smartphones right now, right? Well, of course, that's your ultimate objective. That's your end point. But what is the objective in terms of process that will get you there? Here it is. Simply put, you have to walk into the same room with the people you want to be working for and working with. That's really it. It's like making it to March Madness Final Four, the big dance, being on the stage. You want to be given the chance to say to the right people, I can do that. I can help you. That's what it comes down to. Because if you're never in the room, you'll never, and I mean never, get the right job. So what's the first question? If your objective is to get into that room, what is the first question you need to be asking yourself with every step that you take towards your career change? The first question is this. Does what I'm doing help me get into that room? Then when, when and how does it get me into the room? If you'll start charting your course between where you are now and being in that right room, your objective becomes to determine the fastest and the most credible way to get there. So as you're filling out that online application, ask yourself, what's the next step here? Is this going to get me into the room? And if it does, how many steps away am I from being there? Filling out online applications is mostly a waste of time. Let me be blunt about that. As I recommend to just about every one of my clients, use online job postings as market research, not as an avenue to your next job. That is, that is unless you perfectly match every candidate criteria listed and you have the requisite background that's stipulated. Then if you do check every box, then you probably still only have about a 10% chance of being called. That's call number one. That call comes from a job screener, and sometimes only the first person in the screening process. And step number one on what too often is a long and frustrating process. If you don't check every box, you're in the less than 1% range for a response. So you decide how and when you want to waste your time. But again, it can be sound market research. You can look broadly at industry activity and trends, and more narrowly, at specific company activities. Companies hiring many people, well, they may be in the midst of an expansion. Look in the general press to learn more. But again, consider it market research. Don't consider it job searching. Market research should serve to help you focus your efforts in your job search, however. When you're applying for jobs, all you're doing is throwing your hat into the proverbial ring and hoping somebody notices. Further, and regardless of your ability to check the boxes, as I say, and with an impersonal online application, you're eliminating any chance for nuance. What you present is purely black and white, purely what is written. It simply is what it is. Well, what if that job changes a bit? What, then what happens? I've hired hundreds of people in my career, and very often, someone I talk with, someone I may not even realize I'm actually interviewing, well, they've caused me to rethink my problems. 
rethink my staffing needs or objectives and either change the focus of an existing candidate search or create one on the spot. I've been hired that way. Let me tell you the story. Years ago, I was planning to leave my then current job. I decided I'd like to start my own business. So I drafted a business plan. I put together a value proposition, a set of bullet points I could use to present my services and what they would accomplish, the problems they or I would solve. After I did that, I started talking with people I knew. I wanted their opinions. Did they see my value proposition as valid? Did they believe I was offering to solve problems people actually wanted to solve? Did they believe people or clients would pay to have those problems solved? And who did they see as my competitors in the marketplace? Well, one afternoon, I joined a friend for lunch. I had explained to her that I needed her opinion about a new project. Then I laid out my value proposition. She listened. She asked me several questions. How would you do this and that? And how would I define my background and expertise in that context? She then sat back and said, do you want to work for us? Us being her company. Well, I know I stuttered just a bit in my response, but I will always recall saying, I'm sorry, but I wanted to talk to you to get your opinion, your professional perspective. Truly, I did not ask you out to lunch to try to put you on the spot and get a job. Frankly, I was a bit embarrassed, and, and I'm sure I sounded that way. Well, she only smiled and shook her head and said, no, I understand that. But let me tell you something. This is our position in the market. We're behind the curve relative to what you're talking about, and we've been discussing different ways to solve this problem. Frankly, she said, I think you may be the answer to our problem. Would you be willing to discuss and consider it further? Well, my response was absolutely. And after only a few weeks of meetings and discussions, well, I scrapped my ideas of a new business, and I embarked on the next seven years in my career path. You see, I put myself in the right room. The right room was a restaurant, but I was with someone I could work with and work for. And interestingly, and please hear this, she and I never ended up working together in anything but a matrix relationship. But she was a key decision maker in that company, and she put me in the room with my next boss, the CEO. This is how it works when it works well. But in my career, I have never answered an advertisement to get a job. Never. Every job I've had, and that's from my very first job pumping gas as a teenager to being the president of an international healthcare provider company and my own business today, each job came about by speaking with people I knew, people I wanted to know, or people I was introduced to. And every job I've held was a function of sitting in that right room with those people I would work with and work for. Every job was predicated not on my resume, but rather on my ability to learn and talk about the problems those people, those companies were having and assuring them I could fix the problem. Frankly, in more than one job, I never even completed a job application or had a resume on file until after I started to work. And again, more than once, I didn't even have a job title until after I joined the company and created my own. That's why I say to my clients, if I can help you get a job, without ever giving anyone a copy of your resume, it will be the perfect job. It will be perfect because it will be based on and designed and developed around the highly focused problems you've assured them you can solve. And isn't that what you want? You want to be a problem solver.
This is what you do every day, whether in exam rooms or operating rooms or hospital units. It's all about problem solving. What do most of my clients tell me they like least about medical practice? Well, they hate the mundane. They hate figuring out budgets, dealing with HR issues, sitting in meetings that have nothing to do with their expertise. Sure, there's always going to be some of that. But if you're actually hired to solve a problem, that will be most of your focus, much more so than the person hired to do some general administrative work. So let's talk about getting into the right rooms with the right people. How can you do that? First, just as I did, talk with the people you know. Talk with people who are bright and creative. And don't worry about them being in the right industry. Don't worry about that for two reasons. First, if they are bright and creative, they may see you more broadly than you see yourself. They may offer some interesting tangents for you to consider. Second, don't worry about their industry match because you don't know who they know. That's right, and this is very important for you to realize. You don't know every friend or acquaintance or business associate of your friends. I used to tell the story that many years ago in my Sunday morning foursome at my golf club, well, it consisted of a senior vice president for an HR department of a Fortune 50 company, the owner of an independent marketing and PR company, and a paper product salesman. At the time, I was a hospital executive. I would probably not be your first thought of a go-to person if you needed an in with a top international manufacturing company. Nor would you come to me if you were interested in the world of PR and marketing. And certainly not if you needed to do a price comparison on toilet paper. But in reality, I was your guy. I could introduce you to key people in each of those fields. So don't downplay your possibilities simply because you don't think you know anyone with the company you want to work for or even in the same industry. That's first. That's number one. Know who you know. I use what I call a networking scorecard with my clients. It's simply a form, a group of columns for identifying contacts and tra tracking them. On it, I ask clients to first list the people they know. That's column number one. Then, what is the client's current or initial objective with or for that contact? That's column number two. Next, beyond the initial objective, and this most likely happens after they've met, what's next? What's the next step or objective? That's column three. And if you've listened to my other podcasts, you know there must be a next. So what is the next action? Then in the last column, what is my client's overall desired outcome or objective for this contact? That may be something known from the actual beginning. It may be something that develops and it may evolve, but keep track of the overall objective because that's your end point. That's your real goal with that person. That keeps shaping and reshaping the ongoing meetings you have with that person. That's managing the people you know. The next group, well, this may seem a bit more daunting. The, that's connecting with the people you want to know. When I'm working with a client, I always say there are three categories of contacts. There are the people you know, the people you want to know, and the people I know. Well, interestingly, over the many years I've been working with physicians in non-clinical career transition, I've generally found my clients getting the most success from those people initially unknown. In other words, those people they want to know. So while you may be taking a step back and asking yourself, how am I going to meet these people if I don't even know them? 
take comfort in the fact that usually, and I stress usually because everyone is different, usually this is your most valuable group of contacts and it is much easier than you initially believe to actually meet the people in this group. Next, appreciate you don't have to know specific people per se. That is, you don't need to list Mary Smith, Vice President of Development of Marvel Pharmaceuticals. The person you don't know, but whom you wish to know, may simply be someone at Marvel Pharma, or it may be anyone in pharma, or some job category, such as a medical director in a pharmaceutical company. The objective is to be both as specific as reasonable in defining these people you don't know, but also make it easy for yourself. If Mary Smith is your target, you don't want to walk past six other equally good targets just to try to meet Mary. Keep your objectives valuable yet reasonable. So we're good, right? You want to meet the people you don't know. <laughs> well, no, we're not good because you want to know how to meet these people. First, there are many ways, but I'm going to talk about three. First, my preferred method, depending on a lower level of specificity of the actual person, is to attend conferences, seminars, educational programs, or other venues where those people will gather. Again, this may not be targeted to a specific person, but rather to a specific type of person in a specific industry. It may be healthcare architects, it could be a population health meeting, pharmacovigilance, or even a franchise event. But group events offer up the opportunity to meet many different people who fall under a general industry and or job focused title. The key is, don't be afraid to attend a function that's outside your usual sphere of influence and activity. Let me give you an example. One of my clients was very interested in healthcare architecture from a highly functional perspective. Her opinion was that physician workflow had not been adequately considered in construction projects in her organization. And since her organization regularly used large, well-known architectural firms, she believed this oversight may be an industry-wide issue. How many of you have not at some time had the thought, how many of you have not asked why certain spatial relationships were created that seem to make your work harder, not easier? But how many of you are comfortable speaking to this as an issue outside the confines of your own organization? Well, she and I identified a small group of major national healthcare architecture meetings, and we drafted a physician's perspective on functional and clinical workflows and spatial relationships in hospital departments. She drafted a presentation, we developed an executive summary, and then submitted it to the conferences. In point, she became one of the key speakers at one of these events, and thereafter was a known attendee at subsequent events. This process went a long way in establishing her as a respected resource. The bottom line was simple. She was the only physician speaker at many of these events, and these people wanted to hear from a physician. It was a, it was a new perspective. It was new information for them. But you don't have to be an event speaker to attend, and you'll be surprised that the farther away from healthcare delivery and medical practice, the more interested people will be in your perspective. The often asked question will be, why is a physician interested in what we're doing? Your great opportunity is to craft a great answer that links what they are doing to medicine, to medical practice, or healthcare. However, today, most of those meetings have either been canceled or they've been moved to virtual online events. Kind of kills the networking opportunity. Well, yes, to a, to a degree. Let's say, rather, it changes the networking opportunity. 
The event will list speakers, vendor sponsors, and perhaps some other contexts. The event organizers, for example. These may be people you want to contact. And following up with a presenter to ask pertinent questions, particularly with a virtual event, it's a very natural next step, and one I expect most speakers expect, if not encourage. And everyone associated with a, with a virtual event should, and I'll stress should, appreciate a need to be more accessible online since there will be no hallway contacts going on. Next, many events routinely provide attendee lists. Again, post-conference, follow up to say that you regret this was a virtual rather than an in-person meeting and that you'd hope to be able to meet this person. Well, most everyone recognizes that part of attending these programs is to network, so expect a reasonably welcoming reception. Another avenue to meet these unknown target contacts is to read their press. That is, whether general press, publications like the Wall Street Journal or The Economist, or industry-specific publications, press releases or annual reports, read material that will tell you more about the jobs and the industry in which you're interested. Then, when something really interests you, use your interest to open the door to people quoted or noted in the publication. The way you do that is to pin down your interests first. That is, you find something interesting because you see an intersection between that work and something you want to or something you are doing, or something supported by your knowledge or your skills. And you use those links to create a list of interesting questions. Think of the old newspaper outline for story development, who, what, when, where, why, and how. Then be able to offer your own take, your own recommendations. Be able to say, have you considered? Or when a who doesn't exist, for example, ask yourself if that who could be you. In other words, look for ways to interject, insert yourself into the issue about which you're speaking. And look at your interjection as a way to expand your contacts. That's all. You'll want to create a next step. That is, after all, it's the objective of networking, to create more networking. Lastly, and I'll make this brief, because a great avenue is what I call the research interview. And if you're a regular listener, you may have already listened to the podcast titled The Research Interview, Your Ticket to the Executive Suite. If you're not a regular listener or you missed that podcast, it was published on April 10th, and I'll encourage you to take a listen. Again, that title is The Research Interview, Your Ticket to the Executive Suite. It's an entire podcast devoted to this one topic because it's a very detailed and highly successful approach to meet those people you don't know, but you want to. And it's a strategy that places you in front of these people you want to know, and very specifically, people you want to work with and work for. It places you in front of them in the capacity of being an expert. And as I always say, being the expert in the room is your most comfortable role. So there you have it. Today's strategic tip, keep your focus on getting into the same room with the people you want to work with and work for. Keep that focus and consider every step you take in your transition process in the context of how much closer it will take you to the actual room. Do that and you won't get mired down in needless, non-productive minutia. And while I've outlined several ways to get into that room, believe me, the actual opportunities are endless. From chance meetings and parking lots to cold calls for background information that elevated to a great contact to finding out a friend is a friend of the person you really want to meet. Never rule out the value of being observant and lucky in everything you do. As the old saying goes, luck favors the prepared. 
I hope today I've helped you become better prepared. So once again, for Third Evolution, Non-Clinical Careers for Physicians, this is Robert Pretty. For comments about this or any of my podcasts, don't hesitate to contact me at 720-339-3585. And that's for voice, message, or text. And visit me online at www.thirdevo.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>